Hello, and welcome to another edition of Storytelling on Orchard Street. I'm your host, Pete Salamita. We're in the podcast studios of PT Knitwear Bookstore on Orchard Street, 180, as a matter of fact. With me in the studio today is Jennifer Schnell. Did I say that right? I hope. No. Yeah. Um, is the author of the novel Uber Chef USA on Spork Press 2019 and the poetry collection More Than Moon is a Rose Press 2020. Her work appears in Cincinnati Review, Columbia Journal, Evergreen Review, Seattle Review, and elsewhere. Currently, she hosts the Phoenix, uh, the Phoenix Poetry Open Mic every Monday evening at Shades of Green Pub in Union Square. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Sorry, uh, did, I should have asked you how to pronounce your name to make sure I had it right. <laughs> it's okay. No, nobody pronounces it right. That's, that's not a problem. No, that's not it's, nice. It's like I'm Juno, not... Alaska. Right. Juno. Right. Shouldn't be that hard to do. <laughs> so um, you brought um, stories, this storytelling on Orchard Street, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you brought fiction with you today? Yes. Okay, cool. So we'll, go, we'll get into that as soon as possible. I want to make sure you have enough time to, uh, you know, be comfortable and read. Um, but I just thought it would be nice if we could just have a little background, uh, you know, in your life. Sure. Yeah, like where are you from? Uh, where'd you grow up? When did you move into the city or, you know, so on and so forth? Uh, yeah, so I grew up in New Jersey, in Montville, New Jersey. Okay. Um, and lived there until I went to college at 18 in Boston. What, what did you study? Uh, psychology and philosophy. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then I uh, made my way back to New York City here for the first time. I loved it. Right. And then Europe, uh, Switzerland, and back to New York. And um, for and, and specifically for your fiction writing, you studied at the University of Zurich. Yes. Right. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, so it's a German university, but I studied in the English seminar, and all of my studies were in English. I studied linguistics, uh, literary theory and criticism, poetry. Did you like being in Germany? Germany, Switzerland. Zurich, Switzerland. Oh, Zurich. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I said, why did I say Germany? I mean, Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> it, they call it a German university because it's in German. Yeah, language. that it's threw me off. Yeah. I, I stuck, that stuck in my head. You're right. Yeah. Beautiful country? Yeah. Yeah. Very beautiful. Did you ski? No. <laughs> I've never, have you ever no. skied? No. I've never skied either. It's nice to meet somebody who's, yeah. who's never skied also. Yeah. Um, did you like the coursework? Oh, yeah. yeah. I loved it. It right. was intense. It was really great. Yeah. Uh, after that, what did you do? Like, um, did you right away go into writing, or did you have a, a job in, uh, in another field? Or well, I was always a writer, right. so okay. I went there. Well, the first year I went full time, then I began going part time, and I wrote, traveled, and wrote. I wrote my first poetry collection, More Than Moon, okay. and I wrote my novel, Uber Chef USA. Okay, came back to the states and published them, and I just finished my second novel right. uh, called The Rock Star and the Girls Who Loved well, Him. Do you have copies that we can hold up for the? I have no, no, it's okay. I have no copies, okay. but I do have an excerpt from. I, I don't want to say novel in progress because okay. it's finished. I'm looking for an agent now, sure. and I am a two thirds way finished with my. Second Is that one of the things question. you're going to read? Um, what uh, the excerpt from the yeah. novel? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, where are, uh, can people find your books? Oh, everywhere. Amazon. Okay. All um, right. Barnes and Noble, any bookstore. I mean, I had friends in in Europe who went to their small town bookstores right. and ordered it. You mm-hmm. can get it any place. So you've always made your living as a writer. Well, I don't wouldn't call it a living, right. but well, um, I've always been a writer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you never worked like as a waitress or mm-hmm. as an accountant, or mm-hmm. <laughs> something else. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the people have just, met just you know, temp have, like the yeah. usual thing, right? Not just like side gigs. Yeah. You yeah. know. Sure. 
Okay. Um, so let's have um, you read something and tell us what we're going to hear. Sure. Okay. So um, this is a flash piece. It's called Blind Dates. It's the first uh, flash piece I'd ever written. And I lucked out. Uh, Columbia Journal published it, and then it was nominated for a Pushcart Prize. Nice. Okay. Um, blind Date. I enter Rusty's place on the Lower East Side and claim my usual table in the back. I'm reluctant to meet the stranger I met online in a bar, especially a girl like me who hasn't dated anyone since my traveling circus days. But my confidence is soaring, and I don't know why. You wouldn't know why either if you saw me. I light a cigarette. My doctor says I should quit smoking, but I can't. Rusty's place is the only public spot I'm comfortable in because people don't stare at me, and Rusty is a gem. I'm about to chicken out, but I have an obligation to fulfill. Rusty comes over and offers me gin. I shoo him away. I say, I'm waiting for someone. Don't cramp my style. Just give me peanuts. He acts surprised. You're meeting a guy? Not just any guy, I say. Snarky 2000. Smoke rings happen. He's got black hair like shoestring licorice, I say. I tell Rusty I met Snarky 2000 online, and we've chatted for months. I tell Rusty that I love Snarky 2000. I love him so much, even though I never met him. That every time he comes online, my heart goes ping. I'm in love with a screen name, I say. I'm in love with the concept of online dating tucked inside that little black font. As if this quells any fear about meeting someone in the flesh, in a bar. Besides, I'm not technically meeting him in a bar. I'm meeting him at a bar. There's a difference, I say. Whatever you say, Rusty says. I've been searching for love forever. I'm desperate for companionship, but whenever a man gets too close, he runs away. Snarky 2000 doesn't know what I look like. No photo, he'd said. He was satisfied with just my phone number because he got off on my voice, and mine was a sweet one. He thinks I'm 230 pounds thinner than I am. What he doesn't know is that I'm a 360-pound knockout. I told him I am an office assistant. I didn't tell him I applied for a job as an exotic dancer at Rusty's because I didn't get hired. I asked Rusty if my busting the pole out of the ground had any bearing on his decision. Maybe I swing too low, too slow, too fat kid, he'd said. The door at Rusty's swings open dramatically, ushering in a breeze. The happy hour crowd shuffles in. I down three bowls of peanuts. A shadow cuts a figure in the light. It's him. He orders a beer and asks Rusty something I can't hear. Rusty winks and nods in my direction. Snarky eyes the joint, but skims past me. My table in the corner smolders in a gray haze. Pinball machines go bling and bling. The place reeks of stale barley and hops. Rusty leans over and whispers in Snarky 2000's ear. Snarky 2000 searches the room. His eyes skip over me, then back again. He picks up his drink. He's headed my way. As he steps closer into the light, I see his hair black and swept back over his head, greasy and stiff. 
He's got a decent build. He's wearing dark glasses. He's, wearing, he's holding a cane. Are you Nanette? He says to the air. I shrug. Speak, he says. I open my mouth and swallow a fourth refill of peanuts. The vibes I get say Snarky's on the level, but in the dark recesses of reality, my comfort zone is shattered by self-doubt. I grab my purse and wedged in tight, I suck in my breath and attempt to maneuver myself out from between the table and the bench in what I can only describe as the beginning of a stampede and manage to take the whole table with me. Where are you going, Rusty asks as I blow by him, but I don't answer. I'm already out the door. Awesome. What, what, uh, inspiration from that for that? Um, just that I want to write in the voice of a different type of character uh-huh. and try something flash. And I think that um, I just gave it a go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Is Rusty's, like, based on a place you've actually been to? <laughs> you know, I think so. I yeah. think back then when I wrote it, I was thinking about, um, well, I first moved back to New York City. I was thinking about Three of Cups Lounge, where actually Philip Giambray hosted, okay. you know, the Ancient Mariners right. series. Uh-huh. And I was thinking of a typical Lower East Side joint like I definitely that. felt that in that. Yeah, well, the details were there. Really? That. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's I felt, good. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the I felt best. like I was in a, in a, in a East Side bar or yeah. pub or. Well, yeah. that, thank you. I think yeah. that's that's the magic of writing is, mm-hmm. is when your uh, reader feels what you're writing, right. and that's wonderful. So um, this is, uh, you said Flash. Does that mean that's the full story? Is there a, a par- more parts to no, this? No, oh. no, no. Yeah. It's online in Columbia Journal. It's, yeah. Right, yeah. right. But I mean, uh, uh, that, that, no, those characters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Right. Um, so, um, you know, what? where do you get your drive for from I mean when you write like what what you know where does it come from or how oh. does that work are, are you just like it comes and you write or you tell yourself you're going to sit down and write and even if you don't have an idea ready to go no. well poetry because mm-hmm. I'm a poet and fiction writing is two different things completely right. I think poetry is something that I am it's not something I kind of want to do or want to be it just comes out right and I can't I can never sit down and say, oh, I'm going to write a poem. Right. That's why you, me neither. I have, right. to, I have to wait for the last third right. of inspiration to just come from my experiences, uh-huh. I think, um, in order to write a, you know, my poetry. Right. But fiction writing, I love it. And right. that is something to me that's fun, just creating characters and mm-hmm. settings sure. and navigating that. So there is a lot of planning uh, yeah. uh, involved. I find um, it more challenging, actually, sure. than poetry. And that probably requires you to say, I'm going to work on this story mm-hmm. for a certain amount of time every day or however right. it works. Right. right. Whereas poetry, you could be in a, yeah. walking down a street and come up with an idea. Well, that's what happens. Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> me too. <laughs> that's I've awesome. written uh, the my book and all the poetry I write has all been written on a phone mm. be- because of that. Yeah. Like yeah, I get yeah, an yeah. idea and I just stop, I, right. you know, what I'm doing. And right. I, I even if it's not the full idea, you know, make a little... I you know put it down even a sentence or a couple. Isn't sentences. Isn't that great? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've written poems on the subway and then just read sure. them when I got off the subway to the venue to the oh, reading really? I was going to. Just I, off. You know what? I've done that too. Yeah, yeah. That's fun. Yeah, right. right. I'm, I'm not really a reviser when it comes to poetry, but not, the fiction is opposite. You I, have I, to. It's challenging right. for me, right. and I love doing do it. Do you do your own editing or? You have yeah, a, yeah, yeah. All these, yeah. That's the hard part for me. <laughs> well, when you're writing a novel and you have to keep going over 385 pages right. again and again sure. and again, and then do it again with your publisher, that's tedious. But right. Yeah. When would you say uh, is your next projected uh, release of of, uh, of a book 
oh. coming out or oh you know. well right now my second novel is finished so right. I am really heavily searching for an agent I okay. sent it around to about a dozen right now right hopefully finding one so um, yeah. so you have a lot of work to do in that like and getting that happen to happen do you have time to write while um, that's going on or does that takes up most of your time yeah, no, that takes up a lot of time. Yeah, I would because, imagine. Yeah, right. well, you go on the um, agents, you know, the website, and then there's right. about a dozen agents. Then you yeah. have to look at their, what they look Put for. Sure. And then you have to find who's the right one for you, and mm-hmm. if they're right for you or you're right for them. And then you have to write the query and the, yeah. you know, just send the synopsis. <laughs> so sometimes each requires something different. Is that the hardest part of being a writer for you? Sending, doing, that, doing that part of it? Um, hardest part. It seems like a, a different skill set. Well, I mean, when you have a goal, um, I think that it's all part of the process. So I don't, I, I can't really say it's hard. Right. But it's just part of it's, it's something you're expected to do. What you need to do. And you know do. you have to do it. Right. Yeah. 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 No one's going to do it for you. No. <laughs> um, tell me about. Um, so I, I met you through the Phoenix Poetry oh, yeah. Open Mic. Tell me yeah. a little bit about how that. Like, how did you start that? Okay, yeah, well, I didn't actually start it. Oh, okay. The original series was a very long-running series um, for about 25 years oh. by Michael Graves. It was called okay. um, Phoenix Reading Series. It's Got different. It. Right. And so, yeah, I met Michael last December, uh-huh. and I was booked to feature with Ron Colm at a pizzeria in the right. West Village. Ron, who was in the studio earlier. Yes. And, yep. And at the last minute, Michael said that he wasn't feeling well. He said that he, that he doesn't know if he should cancel. But I said, well, I'll just host, because I used to host, sure. co-host Fahrenheit, oh, okay. um, open right. mic with Linda Kleinbub. Nice. So, yeah, so I went there, and um, I just noticed, like, there really wasn't um, much promotion of, for the event, so not right. really many people knew about it. So right. then um, I just started making Facebook invites for Michael, and he asked me to co-host, right. and that's how it began. Okay. And we, we did it together for a long time, right. and then um, it just turned into where he wanted to go back to doing the um, his own series where he goes to a cafe, which is really brilliant. I love that one as well. It's very low-key. Okay. And then I kept this one, right. and I changed the name to Phoenix Poetry Open Mic. Got it. So, yeah, that's how, that's long, how, how that long started. Been, yeah, how long you been doing it then? Um, hmm. Well, with Michael, um, I don't. Re- I think up until about August, right. and then I started doing it on my own from August until recently now. Oh, okay. Yeah, currently. Yeah. Right, yeah. so... Half a year or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What's your favorite part of that? Like, you know. Oh, my God. My favorite part of that is just booking people who really want their voices heard. Uh I mean, I love established writers. If they have a book that just came out, that's wonderful. They're known around the scene. Right. But once in a while, I get a a musician or a writer who comes in who's never read at an open mic or never featured. And they want to get up there and just read. And then I'll book them as a feature. If they really have a passion, Mm -hmm. that's wonderful. And then um, I just, they have to start, you know, someplace. And that's the best, I think, rewarding part for me Uh is to bring in people who, yeah, love poetry and want to read or perform. So um, we'll talk more, but I want to make sure I give you uh, enough time to you know, read as much of what you brought as possible. So why don't you read something else, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit more. Okay. Um, So this story is a little bit, um, well, quirky, um, Sleep Magazine said. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, this this story was um, nominated for the Million Writers Award. 
and it's called Film Noir. And I think behind this story is when I wrote it, I remember second person narration was the thing. It was something new. I've never, and I read a story in the New Yorker, I think it was called The Leopard, and it was in second person narration. And I thought that was really weird. I'd uh -huh. love to try to do that. So I tried it here. And uh, so, yeah. Okay, cool. You happen to be in a public park and you spot a small child. It doesn't matter if it's a boy or a girl. You look around. The park is desolate, save a couple of school kids wearing winter coats and plaid skirts, backpack, backpacks intact, running off into the distance. You make small talk with a small child. You say, what a big boy or girl you are to play in the park alone, although you don't look old enough to play in the park alone. Not this park, not in a city like this. You better come with me. Get your thumb out of your mouth, because there are lots of crazy people in this world. I am not one of them. You wonder if this is true, about the world, you mean. You tell the child to shed trepidation like a snake sheds its jaggy skin. You tell the child you have candy. You take the child by the hand. You talk to it. You say, what is your name? But the child is programmed not to tell you. You show the child a picture of your latest. It is a picture of a brick building. The child looks as if he or she will fade out into the background like in a funky foreign film. You say, come with me. Although the child is not programmed to do that either, it does perhaps of a behavioral malfunction. The, park's lo the park looks as if it's been shot in black and white. The park is all shadow and drama. What does that say on your jacket, you say? I don't need reading glasses yet, but sometimes I have trouble with the fine print. What I mean is I have trouble reading between the lines. Reading between the lines, like fine print, is a suicide note written on eggshells. The child has no clue what the fuck you mean. You sense this. You say, I mean, reading between the lines is a love note I'll never solve. Still. Your apartment is beyond the park's trees on the other side of the lake. You tell the child to watch its step. Watch your step, you say. You say, do you swim? Do you swim in lakes? I swim, but not in that lake. You are referring to the lake in the park. That lake is like quicksand. You mean that lake is deep and deep and deep. You can't see your toes when you stand, and if you're not standing, well, you can't see anything underneath. This is what you said. This is not what you meant. The child drags his or her feet. It's a rare day, you say. What you mean is it's raw. You mean it's six degrees. You don't mean not cooked. Ice coats skinny branches of a tree, and frost binds the air. Look, you say, those branches are as spindly as a witch's finger, and that air, pitch blend, is like the breath that comes out of a witch's head. You mean out of her mouth, not head. Technically, it is the same thing. It's overcast, it's getting dark. You check your watch and say, it's getting late, and it's getting dark. The ground is frozen. Watch, don't slip. It's not good when it gets dark, not late. It may even be the darkest day of the year. I love years, but I hate days. The child anticipates sweets, maybe not. 
We'll have you back for supper. Don't tell your mother. I mean, about me. I mean, about the sweets. She might get cross. What I mean is, it might spoil your supper, and I'm a stranger. You might regret saying this. Where do you live, you say? There or there? The child must have told you, or most likely pointed somewhere, because you say, oh, there. You sigh. I've never been over there. You feel something. Envy, maybe. Because you say, people who live there wear rubies. You wear fake gems. Nobody is home at your apartment, but when you say apartment out loud, you say flat. You call it a flat because it sounds better. Nobody is ever home where you live, maybe because you live alone. You recollect why. Then you say, my ex left me last January. He said, have a good year. I thought he said, wish you were here. Now solitude makes sense. You give the kid a teensy pat. You're a good sport, you say. If you were an actress or actor, I'd give you a part. A part in what? You aren't sure. Finally, you're at your apartment. Excuse-moi, I mean flat. You search for your keys. It's not in this pocket. It's poking out from underneath the doormat. We must climb those stairs five times, you say. Why? Because you live on the sixth floor. It's almost Christmas. You ask the child, what is Santa bringing you this year? Before the child answers, you say, do you want to know what I found under my tree last year? The child waits or doesn't care. Either way, you say, Christmas Day. You tell the child there is candy in your closet like it's normal to keep candy in a closet. All he or she sees is a row of boxes. See the boxes, you say? You don't say see the shoe boxes because some of them are boot boxes, which means some held boots once, not shoes. All the boxes contain your best kept secret minus two. You ask the child if he or she likes lollipops. You ask which flavor. If it's a boy, he'll pick orange. If it's a girl, she'll pick purple. That's just the way it is. You think orange, like your brain, is frenetic. Purple like images, and the Rorschach test is violent. In short, you are dealing with a child who harbors either frenetic or violent tendencies. Nowhere do you believe color correlates to flavor. You wonder if you are, in fact, evaluating yourself. You say, let's go home before your mother starts to worry. But the child doesn't want to leave. You don't know this for sure. It's a hunch. You assume the child either A, doesn't get lollipops at home, or B, likes you. If you have a low self-esteem, you'll circle A. If you have a high self-esteem, you'll circle B. Maybe it's the other way around. The day recoils and closes its eyes. The windows are black squares flecked with light. You are at a loss for what will happen next. You place your ear to the listening. The itinerant wind is lost in the barren city, and you wait. Wow. I have to say, I don't know why, but um, I spent the whole time listening to that, expecting something bad to happen. Good. <laughs> <laughs> like there was a sense of uh, anxiety. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I guess because uh, an adult with a child, you know, taking a, a child out of a park and not mm-hmm. knowing where mm-hmm. it's going to go. Uh-huh. The funny thing is, it's, it's actually, um, my goal for this was, was 
to play with words and mm-hmm. language right. linguistically. I, well, I saw that because you would go, you would say things more yeah. than one, more, different ways. Right, 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 right. and. Um, yeah, I like the fact that you don't know what's going to happen right. because I feel that any kind of writing should be left open. Right. Yeah. But there was a lot in there. And um, why did you decide to really not have the child have, well, not talk or not have, or much description or much, you, you, I think you, you didn't. Again, to leave it open, yeah. was, was there really a child there? Oh. Is this person crazy? Right, and, right. Know, I mean, for this story in particular, um, there are so many influences I had. Uh-huh. Um, well, one of them was the perspective of somebody who is not really a well-adjusted right. person, sure. and their perspective of something and how they, you know, they don't know what they're even doing or what's going to happen right. next, or uh-huh. something like that. And also, I think the same year, there was a lot of science fiction literature hmm. um, going around. That was that was a year for science fiction, I think, because the New Yorker even had. Um, a science fiction issue come out, and it was really interesting. So you know, I do you like science fiction. Words. Well, I'll tell you, it's a good paying market. Okay. When I did hear about that, I tried to find um, magazines where I can sell my work. Right. And when I Googled it online, I found that literary science fiction was big. It still is. Uh-huh. So I wrote a few short stories and poems, and I did sell them, but not—I mean, not for much right. money. But okay. yeah, I do like science fiction. Yeah. And I, I was going to ask you before you read this. Um, you know, Ron, uh, uh, a lot of his writing was um, influenced by being in a books in bookstores for, yeah. for his yeah. entire life. And but we also shared the music being really important in our lives. Music comes out. I was in bands mm. most of my adult life until recently, mm-hmm. and um, it comes out a lot in in my writing. So I was just wondering, other than writing, what is important in your life that informs your your writing just living right i mean just exploring things um and the funny thing is is i find myself thinking about something mm-hmm. and then it, it just has to be written i think yeah that's how my first novel uber chef usa came about i was living in switzerland and I mean, I can go on forever about the differences between living in a very conservative country well, you, like that. You're talking about after you studied there, you went back? or No, I lived there for 18 years. Oh, so you stayed after you after the Yeah, well, I moved there with my, with my family. Oh, I uh, see. Yeah. Okay. So, um, well, when I was writing, uh, yeah. So I noticed that, you know, from the outside looking in, all of this sensationalism and reality TV and entertainment, entertainment focus. And I think David Foster Wallace, who's my favorite writer, um, I was looking at a lot of his interviews, and I love his work. And in Switzerland, you don't really have, you know, all of this reality television. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what inspired me to write uh, Uber Chef USA. It's about a girl who was on a, a reality TV show, and it's really over the top. Okay. Yeah. When did that come out? Um, 2019. Okay. Yeah. And it's available everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. You can order online. All right. Yeah. Cool. So... Um, we still have time for, for something else if you'd like. Or, sure. Now, yeah, th- yeah um, I have two more, but you know, I'll just read this one last one. That's okay, fine. that'd be great. So this sure. is an excerpt from my most recent novel I had just finished writing called The Rockstar and the Girls Who Loved Him. And it was published in Across the Margin, and it won like the top 20 fiction reads on their site cool. uh, for the year 2020. Nice. So um, just a little bit of the background. Um the story follows, well, there's a subplot, which I won't get into, but the story follows 
a rock star mm-hmm. who is a classic rock star, the most famous rock star in the world. He's the main character. And then there's another rock star, a younger one, on the rise. And he's looking to take the place as the best rock star in the world. Okay. And so um, rock star A, the classic one, is not very happy with his life. He hates being famous. He's mm-hmm. tired of it. And so he begins having an affair with this, with this journalist. And then the, the rock star, his name is Rockstar. Okay, and, I like the name. <laughs> and Mr. Bass is the, the oh, new one rising. Great. And he's having an affair with Rockstar's model, narcissistic wife. Of course. So both of them um, are having their affair at this one Mexican, a room above a Mexican cafe. But of course, not at the same time. They don't know. Yeah, all right. Right, right. So um, A little love triangle here. Yeah, so this is actually one chapter in the book. And the narrator is uh, The Wall. And it's called From a Room Above a Mexican Cafe. If the walls could write books, what will start as love stories will end as tales of ineluctable heartache. If the walls could speak, they'd say he'd hold her close in a room redolent of must and lust, a world away from the spotlights and money so plentiful it could choke on itself, his fans hollering for more, giving him a rush, not to mention the uppers and the downers, the booze, women. Make it go away. What these piss-stained walls would say. That the man was tall, dark-haired, and so sure of himself, even the room fell in love. The woman was brunette. She'd be excited. He'd tear off her expensive silk with his teeth. The various sexual positions. The cries from this woman were of ecstasy, sometimes pain. The man was hard to read. According to the world, he was a hero. In his eyes, he was a failure. His worth as a man was measured by his ability to be adored, to make music, to make money. To fuck in a rundown, rented room with creaky floors, damp rugs, and the occasional cockroach crawling up a wall in lieu of a palace-like hotel suite. The perfect backdrop to ease anxiety the assumption of a perfect life put to rest. Shouts outside the bodega blistered in foreign tongues, laughter, brawls, gunshots, screams. A woman's tortured cries from the street turned the brunette woman on. A slap in the face, the woman begged her lover to fuck her hard to the beaten woman's cries. And her lover did. With each stroke, he'd fuck his terrible life away. Each stroke, there went another lie. Each sensual touch, the tongue, the nipple, the clit. The walls would tell you that at other times, it was a different man. His hair was long and blonde. His lady was a model, tall and thin. Her hair also long and blonde. She'd cry over someone who'd broken her heart. The man would attempt to wipe her tears. She'd tear off his clothes. It's okay. It's only a shirt. He'd lift up her skirt. He'd enter her from behind, sometimes on the bed, sometimes against the door. He'd twist her blonde strands in his fist, yank them hard. This is what she liked. She never looked him in the face. The humid room with no air conditioner, the scent of fetid crustaceans and salty air clung to their moist bodies as they fell into the stale bedspread. This gave them a carnal thrill. When it was over, the dark-haired man would light a cigarette. He'd summon a squat Mexican from the bar to bring him a bottle of tequila and some olives. 
When it was over, the blonde-haired man would light a cigarette. He'd summon a squat Mexican from the bar to bring him a six-pack of Pacifico and tortilla chips. In both instances, ice water and lime would be ordered for the lady. In both instances, the man's life had been imploding for a long time. Whatever drove these two couples to their trysts will be forgotten for a good hour or two. The Mexican was paid handsomely to keep his mouth shut. But actually, the Mexican didn't care. He hardly spoke. He wasn't legal in this country, and he existed in a world of his own. No, he didn't speak their language, not in reference to English or to Spanish, but the kind where he got his hands dirty. His problems were real. Later, the couples will separate and return to the significant others who weren't significant enough. When the room is dark and empty, the walls will say, fuck each other all you want. I know nothing. That was awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. I love the the two different separate orders, <laughs> the tequila and the oh yeah, the beer. It's kind of descriptive of yeah. the, the different personalities. Thanks. Yeah. 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 Any uh, closing thoughts you'd like to put out there? Any closing thoughts? Yeah. Uh, no, just keep on doing what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. This I'm, is wonderful. I'm going to play. You know what? If you don't mind, I was going to read one thing. I, 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 oh, I, I like I to make this that. about my, uh, my guests, but I like yeah. to throw one thing in there. And um, it kind of goes along with your story a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's kind of about a rock star cool. in a different way. It's called One Hell of a Song. I don't read the reviews or online complaints. He's not angry enough. Liked him better, spun out of control. Wish he'd shoot up again. But what am I to do? That's just not me anymore. Had my share of busted heads, mosh pit with fans. Lost 33% of my hearing from power cords turned to 11. Yeah, but it was a blast when you could feel a stage shake and you'd be covered in sweat, spit, and blood sometimes. The adrenaline rush would keep you juiced until dawn. The pounding in your head would be chased away by the hair of the dog. Load up, the band, load up the van with the band, the driver chosen by picking the short straw. Hit the road blurry-eyed with a drowsy mind. But once you, pull up the once you pull the curtain back, glad that you found the vein, crank up the volume till inner demons scream, it's one hell of a song. But that feels like a long time ago. I ain't got that anymore. I'll leave it for the desperate, someone with something to prove. I'll stick to my Taylor American dream and sing 12-bar blues about a life that took a turn, careened and crashed, but somehow didn't burn. You see the world different, a lesson finally learned. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Thank That's you. That's really great. Cool. So I'm going to play the theme song, which is uh, my friend Fred Argenziano guitar. And uh, I'm going to thank my terrific guest, who is a storyteller extraordinaire. Thank you <laughs> so much. And I'm so glad to hear you read your terrific um, writing. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah. This is great. And uh, we will be in touch. I will be at your open mics. Yes. Uh, Jennifer. Well, Janelle. you're featuring next week. I am. Uh, on December is, 19th, but, <laughs> but. Which is in hindsight. So I hope you all came. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, again, thanks so much. Um, you're very talented. Oh, and thank you. This has been uh, Storytelling on Orchard Street in the podcast studios of 
uh, P&T Knitwear Bookstore on Orchard Street. I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank Jennifer once again. And, uh, well, I hope you all enjoyed the show. Thank you. <laughs>